I'm wearing my flashy, beautiful tie. I'm on stage with Aretha Franklin in honor of my talking today about Clive Davis. Clive Davis and I have a great history together. It kind of started back after I produced a song for Stacey Latizal called Let Me Be Your Angel. And I got a phone call from Clive, and Clive said, how did you learn how to make that kind of record? I said, well, I'm from Kalamazoo, Michigan. You know, Motown's not far away. Curtis Mayfield's Chicago's not far away. And all the stuff I hear of pop music and jazz and soul and everything I hear in Michigan. He said, oh my God. He said, well, you ought to produce some stuff for me. I said, I'd love to. He said, well, why don't we first do like Angela Bofield? I said, whoa, she's a great singer. So we wanted to make like three hot albums for Angela Bofield, you know? And a hit I wrote for called Too Tough. But a lot of the music at that time, he was picking out for Angela. So I was kind of getting a, getting a groove with how he liked to have things. Uh, pick a song, he didn't mind me putting my treatment to it, unless he loved the demo. And if he liked the demo, he would say, well, I really love the demo. I said, okay, well, I'll keep some of those, 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 those things in there. But his thing was really like, if I gave him what he loved, I knew I'd hear it everywhere. I knew it'd be around the world. So that was a wonderful thing about Clive Davis and Arista Records at that time. Phyllis Hyman he brought to me, then Aretha Franklin, and that was, that was a beautiful thing. I was supposed to work with Dionne Warwick, and I wrote a lot of songs for Dionne Warwick when I saw her. And she wasn't that hot on the, on the music I was bringing to her. So I called Clive and said, Dionne didn't really hear the songs I brought, like 13 different songs. He said, don't, don't worry. He said, how about Aretha Franklin? I said, Aretha Franklin, God. And that was a wonderful thing because he said, just give her a call. After I spoke with her, then we went on to make a lot of smashes together. And that's due to Clive Davis bringing us together. Even the song with um, George Michael, A New Waiting For Me. And even a lot of duets with Aretha, like James Brown, Give Me, Give Me Your Love, and Whitney doing a duet with her, and Elton John doing a duet with her, and uh, Peter Wolf from his band, Jay Giles, and Carlos Santana playing, bringing Clarence Clemens on. So we had a lot, a lot of great, great success. And then came on with Whitney Houston, How Will I Know, and all the seven number ones we had with all that music, over 19 songs of Whitney. So Clive Davis and I have a great history together. And when I first got Tarpan Studios here, a song called We Don't Have to Take Our Clothes Off, Jermaine and Stewart together. So just a lot of great music together. And um, most recently happy to have a number one right now in the UK called Higher Love. Something I cut in 89 to make Whitney happy in the studio, put a choir on it, she blew it out. At that time it only came out in Japan, but here 30 years later, number one. So bless our hearts. I want to thank Kygo for his lovely remix. I want to thank Clive and all the team working hard and Whitney's estate and celebrating Whitney's life seven years after her passing. So it's a big, big to do right now. So again, gratitude to Clive, happiness, and that we do a lot more in our future. Most recently, I went to uh, Outside Lands. Massive amount of people's out there, massive amount of people. I mean, like a revival of music out there. Met Kygo out there and clean cut with a white sweatshirt from Denmark and very kind of sweet. And went on the stage and the fire and the steam, you know, and the explosions and the big bottom end subwoofers ringing and carrying on with the beat. And, uh, you know, he was just holding his court with the people. So it was wonderful to see him do what he was doing. I got inspired by it. You know, festivals back in the day, you know, love festivals. Nowadays, it's huge, but more corporate. Very clean, you know, lots of port porta potties, lots of everything to make things, you know, people comfortable. And all the kids 
who missed the 60s, missed all that, are doing their best to put their little tie-dye on, their little crisscross on the head, you know, their jewelry, face paint, and kind of feel the echo of what, what came down with the love in the 60s. So that's kind of enlightening to see, that that hasn't gone away. People want to be touched and moved by the music. And when Kai goes on or whoever they love's on, it's all this, this rave feeling going on with hands in the air. Thousands of them, thousands of them, just jamming to the beat. Just jamming it. So it's like, for me, it's like, it's a wonderful new audience to captivate. A wonderful new audience to like, you know, bring music to. So for, I, got, I got really inspired by the whole thing. There was a time when I was working with Whitney Houston, I got a demo from Clive, uh, I Want to Dance Somebody Who Loves Me. The demo itself was very kind of like the rodeo vibe. A very like, doom dicka doom dicka doom dicka kind of had a very cool hook on it. But my whole thing was, how could I make this a smash for Whitney? So as normal, I have to go to the ghetto. I have to go towards the hot groove and flip the hot groove and make it stank so that when I put Whitney on top with her beautiful voice, there's an outhouse bottom of the penthouse view to bring home. I want to ask when there's somebody who loves me. And to this day, it still sounds current. So that's the whole thing. When I'm given something from Clive, how I can make it go to the ghetto, as well as Jack and Nice's boat. So it works on both levels. It's really important to have that international hit. So my mind operates like that. I know he wants that too, but he looks to me, he hires me to give him that. And I'm glad he trusts me like that. Any music I do, I'm trying my best to, like Quincy Jones says, get my own emotion, get my own hairs to stand up, get my own feeling and my own emotion current, in it, sincere. At the same time, I know that Clyde may want the background vocals a little louder. Clyde may want Whitney's voice or whoever I'm working with a little louder. So I'm always open to being flexible to, to his needs. Why? When you give Clive Davis what he wants on a hit record, you hear on the hour every hour. I don't care if it's Kenny G. I don't care who it is. You'll hear it over and over and over again. And that's the magic and the beauty of him and his passion. So when you ask about my working relationship with him, that's kind of what it is. I make what I love. But I'm always open to him saying, can you make a voice a little louder? Can you make the backgrounds a little louder? Absolutely. Boom, boom, boom. Bam. Off to the races. You're hearing it around the clock, everywhere around the world. That's exciting for any producer, any artist. That's the magic of Clive Davis and his team. What makes Clive Davis um, a successful executive to me is that he shows up. He's consistent. He's in his office listening to music, doing his best to find hit demos, hit songs, that he wants to then hear his artists sing. He's really religious about finding songs that turn him on, that he can envision that artist singing. And even beyond that, if the artist is a writer, to push that, 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 that writer, that artist, to do their very best to have a hit. So he's always about that, how he can make the big success for the artist, for the, for the team. On top of that, he loves soul music. On top of that, he can admire and, and bow down to the beauty and the genius of Aretha Franklin. We all know how great she is, but a guy like Clyde, when he gets with someone like Aretha, really, really goes all out to honor her and her greatness. To honor Whitney, honor the people that he really loves. Even the Carly Simon of the world. They are the guy soul singers, but they have so much love in them. He's there for them. Look at Carlos Santana with a breakout of Smooth, the second biggest record in history. Gave Carlos a lot of love on Smooth. Helped putting the song together with his team, making sure it was the right thing, and heard it everywhere. 
When Clive gets it right, he gets it right. Clive got inspired when he came to San Francisco, uh, Monterey, the Jazz Pop Festival in Monterey. You know, seeing Janis Joplin, Hendrix was there. Seeing all the hot music at that time, turn him on to, wow, the next wave coming that he could then get down with, bring back to CBS and have a new wave of sound. So he's a, he's a visionary like that. Sly and the Family Stone, the genius Sly. Clive was there to also make sure that people were hearing Sly and the Family Stone. Uh, Earth, Wind and Fire. Uh, and, on, and on a side note, one of my biggest artists is Laura Nero. He was involved in her career too. So I'm just saying, uh, you look around, he's had his hands in a lot of different pies because he has excellent taste. He has excellent taste. People have, have a destiny for them for themselves. I mean, his destiny is he's a leader. He wasn't just gonna stay, in, stay a lawyer, he's a leader. And he has, he's very opinionated about what he likes. It's not some fluke. He's very opinionated about what he likes and he'll tell you kindly what he thinks is great, what he thinks is not so great, why he thinks it's not so great, why he thinks it is great. He's very opinionated about that. And he likes to be in that position. He likes to be in the position. Ladies and gentlemen, I wanna to present to you the next biggest thing. Bam! He, he, he likes being that catalyst of bringing to you what he feels would be the next biggest thing. And he's got a great ratio for it. I'm inspired to speak about Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones, I call Borda, means older brother. He calls me Chorda, means younger brother. That in itself is very inspiring to me, that he would think of me as a brother. When I look back on my career, Quincy Jones was the one that said, you know, you might want to take producing more seriously. People need more, more help in making records now, producing records, you'd be really good at that. I said, okay. You know, really take that more serious. I said, okay. So he's been there like a mentor toward me early on in my life. And when I hang out with him, I'm always impressed how sharp his mind is on the stories and things that he's done in his life. He can recall at a split second who he was talking to, what he was doing, or how Picasso in Italy was, you know, over wine with him and took a little bit of uh, salt and put it on the table and then drew into it uh, on a, with a pencil a beautiful fish. And then after he did the fish, gave it to Quincy. So these type of stories, or hanging out with Duke Ellington, hanging out with, you know, Count Basie, hanging, doing the charts for, you know, with no piano, just off his mind, off his brain, all the charting for a Frank Sinatra. It's just, he's so, got so much in him that you have to kind of just sit and just kind of go, whoa. It's like a mountain talking. And um, you can see why his work with Michael Jackson is so dazzling. Quincy's middle name is Delight. When you see him in the studio, he's partying. He's rocking. You know, he has to really feel it. He's the one that always taught me, you know, you want to be the kind of person that keeps the atmosphere so beautiful, so clean, that when God walks through, you capture God. So that's Quincy's kind of thinking that teaches me to be that way in the studio. And to be kind of relaxed in the studio so you can get the best of people. I also saw Quincy be the kind of person that could ask someone like Patty Austin or James Ingram to do something over and over again to get what he wanted. I mean, Patty could go out there and do a killer version of something. He would say, that was great, do it again. So I started watching him, you know, with that kind of mentality too. 
Then I see Quincy at his house. And over he'll invite Lionel Richie, who's a friend of my life. And then the, the doorbell will ring. It'll be Richard Pryor. And Richard's so not like you think he is. Richard's humble. Richard's like this. Hi. I brought some wine. I hope it's okay. It's, it's Jordan. I hope it's okay. I hope it tastes good enough, you know. I said, Jordan, wine's great. Come in. He's, he's very quiet. The great Richard Pryor. Very quiet. Like, you're waiting for him to say something that you that's Richard Pryor, but he doesn't do it. He's completely just like in awe of being with Quincy. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Quincy Jones, man, in his, in his world, people get quiet around him because they want to hear what he has to say. He's got so much knowledge. He's got so much wisdom. And he has a way of saying things that can be black humor, black people, all people. But he loves black humor. And you can touch those people who have that kind of heart that need something said a certain way. Like look at a guy like Michael Jackson, you know, chose Quincy, Quincy chose him to work with. Over time, they made the biggest records in history because Quincy can go there. So I have a lot of respect for Quincy Jones. A lot of respect for Quincy Jones. I can't say how we first met, but I can say it's always been staggering. Right down to him bringing the, the Warner Brothers jet from L.A. to our airports up here with a young Tevin Campbell. His brand new star that I'm going to be, be producing with Tevin's mom and, and his team to come meet me. So Quincy's always like over the top like that. In the door he'll come and, you know, looking for the best for, for young Tevin Campbell, who became a massive star. And also Quincy's through him, we know Greg Fillingains, we know all Jerry Hay. Jerry Hay, the horn guy, I started using on my sessions for Stacey Latizaw. Just all this intermingling because of Quincy, what he would be around, you wanted to be around it. Because they were the best. They are the best. You know, John Robinson on drums, Louis Johnson on bass. All these things that he would bring in. Even young David Foster, before David Foster became the big producer, he's with Quincy Jones. So you gotta think, damn man, Quincy was just drawn from everybody who he knew was great. Bring him in those sessions. Bring him in those sessions to make the best music. Quincy Jones, um, early in his life, was a fantastic horn player, trumpet, and worked with a genius named Lionel Hampton. Lionel Hampton played the vibes and drums and was really one of the first rock kind of, kind of energy guys. He played jazz, but his energy was like rock and rhythm just really swung his ass off. And so Quincy saw that as a young kid joining his band. He saw how hard and driven Lionel Hampton was. And Lionel was the kind of person, stop the bus, pull the bus over, everyone set up all your, all your, all your music, the music, it's just a jam. We're gonna play right now. I feel like playing. So Quincy saw that too, how spontaneous it was. Just the love of music, not about the show, just play. So these things affected him. Then when he met with Ray Charles when he was a young guy, he sees Ray Charles, you know, doing well in Seattle of all places. Here, Ray, young Ray Charles is killing it. And he's so genius that they become best of friends. And it was actually through Quincy that later on in my life, he says, would you like to produce Ray Charles? I said, yes, my God. He said, well, you know, he's intense. I said, yeah, I know. He said, well, go ahead and do it then. And I did. So I'm saying that's again through Quincy. Um, Quincy's a musician, he studied. He studied with this beautiful lady in, in France to learn how to arrange, to learn how to hear the bottom, the middle, the top. And um, for anyone who's into music, we learn from Quincy Jones. We learn how to do things better. 
If it's sexy and romantic, learn that. If it's funkin', learn that. If it's jazzy, learn that. He's got his hands on so many beautiful pies that he's revolutionized music. He was also the kind of person that could tell me, Nard, I felt sad when Sony first took on the CD. Because I was starting to realize there was no way after that came on the scene we could then contain and control the music. It would get out there. People could copy it. Which then became what started happening. We couldn't keep a handle on it anymore. So he was that kind of person to, to like be enlightened to, to see what was going on. And uh, I wish Quincy, Quincy the very best. I saw him recently uh, for a big birthday party in L.A. And he uh, hung out with Oprah Winfrey. I met Oprah with him. There was a big line of folks that wanted to come say hi to him. He's beloved in music industry and all industry. He's beloved. You have to also look at the thing he did, all the music he's done for films. You know, just sounds, uh, themes, um, visionary. His children are beautiful. His family is beautiful. He loves to eat really beautifully cooked French uh, coquivin. Uh, chicken and wine mixed together. He's a very high taste for, uh, for beautiful foods and wines. So everything in his life is like this high um, standard. His engineer is Bruce 